Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Dream Big Podcast, where we are discussing topics that focus on developing today's youth into right now leaders. The Dream Big Podcast is hosted and produced by the Scholars in the Leap to College Foundation, a 501c3 organization that creates and supports programs which directly achieves positive outcomes for underrepresented students by improving high school graduation rates and college acceptance through educational enrichment activities, internships, mentoring, community engagement, leadership development, and parental involvement. My name is Owen Mitchell, a junior LEAP Scholar and a podcast team member. As a quick plug, we invite all of our listeners and supporters to connect with us further at our website, leaptocollegefoundation.org and various other social media sites, such as Instagram at Leap to College Foundation Inc., Twitter at L2C Foundation, Facebook at Leap to College Foundation, and YouTube at L2C Dream Big. Today's topic, we will be focusing on financial literacy with emphasis on budgeting, investing, and maintaining credit. Our host this episode is Jalen Thomas, a senior at Bowie High School. To help with today's discussion, we have illustrious panel of guests ready fully to break this topic down. This episode features Asia McConnell, a senior accounting major at Hood College, Kennedy McWilliams, a senior business major at North Carolina Central, and Tara Jackson, a director of BA Sports Nutrition in New York City. Hope you guys enjoy. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Dream Big Podcast, where we are discussing topics that focus on the development of our youth in today's right now leaders. I'm your host for today's episode, Jalen Thomas, a high school senior and four-year scholar with the Leap to College Foundation. Co-hosting with me today is Mr. Christopher Wallace. Hello, everyone. As Jalen said, I'm Christopher Wallace. I am a mentor with the Leap to College Foundation. Thank you so much for that, Chris. Today, we have an amazing topic as we will be discussing the path to financial success and how it reflects on the youth today. To help with today's discussion, I just have a splendid panel of guests with me ready to dive into the topic of financial literacy. Starting with Ms. Asia McConnell, a senior accounting major at Hood College. Hi, it's nice to be here. Thank you guys for having me. Ms. Tara Jackson, Director of Partnerships for Body Armor Sports and Nutrition. Hi, thanks for having me today. And Ms. Kennedy Nicole, a senior business major at North Carolina Central. Hi, everyone. Thank you for having me. Again, thank you all for tuning in. And without further ado, let's get started. To start off, I'd like to ask the panel if any of you all have had a teacher, a mentor, financial advisor, or, or simply a family member that helped you make the proper financial decisions in life? I'll jump in here. Um, my mother is a CPA, was a CPA. She's now retired, so had a strong learning of finances from her. I've been doing my taxes on my own since I was 14. She taught us how to manage our finances straight off and made us stick to it. And even beyond that, I have an aunt and uncle who I'm very close to, and they had 14 kids together. And only my uncle worked. So it takes a lot of financial know-how to run a household of 14 kids off one salary. Wow. That, that's amazing. <laughs> wow. 
Wow. Um, no, I did not have what Tara had at all. Like I, um, besides just the typical, oh, save your money, you know, from my mom and my aunt, um, it wasn't really like any guided financial like learning. Yeah. So I kind of missed out. And honestly, I took my first um, finance course when I was in high school. And that's pretty much when I started learning about finances. And, you know, by then it's kind of too late. So well, the biggest influence that I've had, I will say, is my stepdad. He always been strict on finances. I used to always wonder why he would get on me about little things I would spend my money on. But really, when I went off to college, that's when I really realized like the importance of budgeting and having an expense sheet and everything like that, just so you could stay more organized. Because I know me personally, I spend money out on food when I could really just eat in. So really, my stepdad really influenced me to really be tight on my finances and start budgeting. Yeah, see, I'm, I see just a great variety of answers there. We have family members. We have, um, which... Tara, your mom was actually a certified CPA. So, I mean, that that's alone just a great accomplishment in her life. And that leads me to my next question. With the year being 2021, do you all feel that today's youth would have a better understanding on how to properly manage finances with somebody that they have a solid relationship with or just taking a financial course? I'll answer that two ways, I think. One, their financial literacy should definitely be taught in schools because if your parents aren't financially literate or you don't have someone financially literate in your household or in your life to teach you, you can't teach what you don't know. So part of it should definitely be on the school system to teach financial literacy. But on the other hand, everyone's financial situation is very different. Some people are contributing to their household from an early age, and that has a big impact on how much you can save versus how much you're spending. So I think it's a bit of a blend where there should definitely be some focus from the school system, but also with respect to knowing that financials situations are different for every individual, knowing that there are going to be little pieces of um, a balance sheet. They're going to be very different from one person to the next. I think it's important that a lot of the ways that uh, financial uh, literacy is taught, especially to kids uh, and and young adults, is that uh, whatever service needs to be well vetted. Because while the internet and um, the massive amounts of information out here for uh, young adults to really learn about this topic. There is a lot of things that are misinformation. There are a lot of things that can be out of context. There are a lot of things, concepts that can be misunderstood if not given with, not taught by the right person, not taught by the right Mm -hmm. personnel, not taught with the right idea in mind. So I think whatever that they do expose themselves to, we definitely have to take the initiative to make sure that they're credible sources of information. Right, 100%. 100 percent because there is a lot of there's a lot of uh misconceptions that are being taught whether it be through family members as tara you said if the family member the mother the father if they're not financially stable themselves or they don't understand financial literacy it's hard to teach you know the student or the or the son or the daughter in this instance how to properly manage their finances and and that could just lead to a whole whole lot of problems down the road even if it's not taking place in that exact moment, maybe 10 years, 20 years from then, they don't know how to manage their taxes or file taxes. 
They don't know how to budget. They don't know how to invest. And, and it'll be hard to reach attainable goals that way. Recently, I actually saw a, con a survey conducted in 2018 by FINRA, which stands for the Financial Industry Regulatory Authority. In this survey, they asked American study participants five questions regarding the basic aspects of finance and economics that are encountered in our daily lives. And out of all the participants that answered, 66% of those participants answered three or fewer questions correctly. And only 34% answered four or more questions correctly. My question is, do you all feel that these percentages are realistic notion of American intelligence regarding financial literacy? I'll go ahead and answer that. And I think definitely not. I think that the number is a little bit exaggerated because anyone can answer five questions correctly. Like what if they were guessing? And I want to know what the content of the questions were because you can answer a question, but like, how do you put it into practice? You know, you can know this information, but it's really about how you use it. And I think that's really what the survey should have died a little bit in deep, more in detail with, because I think that's really the most important part about it. I completely agree with you, Asia. Yeah, I think it's, I think it can go both ways, right? Because to some extent, I do think that the financial system can be very confusing if you are asking people who sit outside of it, who sit in communities that don't have banking systems, who rely on payday lenders um, and don't really have a lot of financial literacy in their communities. But on the other hand, there are also aspects of the financial system that people don't have day-to-day -day access to, but also that they don't use in their day-to-day. -day. Um, a lot of people aren't investing in the stock market. They just have a 401k through their employer. So if they're asking them questions about stock market investing, that's not something that they're encountering on their day-to-day -day in their everyday lives because it's not within their financial wheelhouse. Yeah, I think it really depends on the type of life that you're experiencing. Again, if you live in rural America, if you live in Nebraska, you have a much different life than somebody who lives on Wall Street. It right. is, you know, right. it's two sides to one coin, really. But especially in today's world, like not everybody is on the same page about a lot of stuff concerning finance. Mm -hmm. Some people operate differently than others. Some people invest mm -hmm. much differently. Some people understand mm -hmm. money a different way than a certified CPA might. Nonetheless, the great question, uh, great question, great answers really. And that leads to my next question. Um, considering that the COVID-19 pandemic has affected just so many people globally, uh, what do you think the pandemic will teach people when it comes to properly saving money in case something were to happen down in the future? So the the rule of thumb is you're supposed to have six months of emergency savings, six months of your rent, six months of all the bills that you pay, six months for food, water, gas, whatever um, your six months expenses are. I think if anything, the pandemic has taught us six months might not be enough um, because we're over a year into this. And, you know, there are people who lost their jobs as soon as the pandemic started and still haven't recovered um, in a job and employment insurance only lasts so long without congressional extension. So um, I think if anything, it's taught us that, hey, we might need to double that six month rule because 
it might not be enough at the end of the day. Well, the pandemic definitely taught me a lot with my finances. Mm-hmm. Even though I did have like the rule of thumb rule, I've had six months of rent saved mm-hmm. up and all of that. But it definitely taught me like how to invest my money too. I don't know if you guys know about the foreign exchange market, but it's definitely made me want to invest my money into the foreign exchange market and just try another source of income, which has been great. Mm-hmm. And which is another way to financial freedom as well. So it definitely taught me a lot with my finances and the importance of investing. Okay. Um, and it taught me a lot also. I think like for me, I'm more of a spender. Uh, it's a habit. <laughs> but the pandemic really like gave me a wake up call because I was just thinking, you know, you, you know, just spend the money if you have it. Like I think that sometimes, but I think that money is like unending. I don't know. That's like that's like really naive of me. But it just made me realize that, you know, you don't always have a job. It's not always possible. And it's just like with the pandemic, like people losing their job, it's just scary. People that were in financially stable situations weren't. So it definitely gave me a wake up call and it made me want to better budget my money and save more because you never know what life's going to like do. You never know what's going to hit. Just want to be prepared for every situation. Definitely. And to, to kind of draft off something Candy said earlier, it definitely was a great opportunity to invest if um, you were new to investing. Sure, everyone saw the craziness that's happened with GameStop a few months ago. But yeah. that aside, you know, I bought a lot of stock in airlines at the beginning of the pandemic because they were super down, a lot of stock in hotels. And, you know, a lot of that has doubled over the last year because the economy is opening back up, people are traveling again. So it definitely was an opportunity where, if you were in a position where you were able to keep your job and save some money because you're not spending gas going to work every day and, you know, you're not going out to eat all the time because all the restaurants are closed, it was definitely an opportunity to take some of that free money you would have and put it and invest in places where you normally wouldn't. I think this part of the, the, the pandemic also reinforces a communal aspect when it comes mm-hmm. to money. I, I think yeah. we've really seen the the fair way to say it would be ineffective uh, leadership sometimes from uh, federal mm-hmm. government, state government, mm-hmm. local government, where so much of the help that people need are caught up behind red tape or politics or whatever the case may be. Um, so I've always tried to, especially during this season where I'm going, if I'm going to restaurants, I'm trying to tip extra. If mm-hmm. I'm getting chauffeured around in Ubers or Lyft, you know, you make, make sure making sure I'm tipping extra. Uh, just yeah. to, to really bring home the fact that there's obviously not a lot going around from all the jobs that have been lost and all the opportunities that have been lost. And I've still been in a place where I've been blessed where I still have my job. I'm still able to get in mm-hmm. to provide for myself and sharing that good measure, even with like charitable organizations um, or even your local churches, if you're into that, um, where, you know, you we're still able to do good for people that's not necessarily tied up behind you know, any type of government thing, like we can get right to the people. So it, it definitely taught me to be a lot more communal and look out for the person that's, that's, that's next to me. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, to be communal, uh, communal and the fact that we're all going through this pandemic together, some have situations that are worse than others. You never know what the person to your right or your left is going through. <laughs> so it is important to give back. It is. And it's important to realize that we're all going through something together and that the togetherness is what will ultimately bring us together. 
and and lead us out of this pandemic. So I, I think that's really important to hone in on. Yeah, just to be together, to be unified as one is, is really important here. I just want to get you all's opinion on one thing. What do you all think is the biggest reason and I've seen many different clips on the internet. I've been on Twitter, Instagram. People get their stimulus checks and spend it on some crazy things. I've seen people buy camels. I have seen people buy flat screen TVs. So what do you all think is the biggest reason for some people receiving their $1,500 stimulus check and spending it so recklessly? Like, is it, is it a lack of education? Or is that simply ignorant? <laughs> I don't want to say ignorant. They just, I don't know. People look at it as free money. Like, it's not their money, so they're just going to spend it, you know, however they want to spend it. Like, it's not their money, so they're not, you know, emotionally attached to it. So they're not thinking anything of it, I feel like. But I feel like the proper way that people need to spend their stimulus check is through investing so they can triple their money. You know, people just want to spend their money on what they probably couldn't afford before the stimulus check. So it's like they're getting that, you know, happy feeling. I think it's a bit anecdotal to say that everyone's spending it recklessly. I mean, the average rent in America is something like $780, $790 a month. So the stimulus, or at least this round of the stimulus is a little bit less than two months of rent for the average person. And if you live in a more Expensive city. I live in New York. The average rent in New York is closer to $2,000 a month. So, you know, for some people, this money is, they have bills that they've been holding on paying and they're hoping to stay in their houses and keep their lights on and keep food in their fridge. And I think for a lot of people, it's not money that they're going and spending recklessly. It's money they have been waiting on that is a life raft and, and quite frankly, not a big enough life raft for a lot of people. Um, and if anything, and I will add the disclaimer that I'm very politically progressive, I think that the stimulus check and the, its impact really strengthens the argument for a universal basic income um, and just you know, giving people the access and the resources that they need to have a basic quality of life and to be able to, there's a huge difference between inflation and the growth of wages for the average American worker is very far behind, which is why there's so much argument about minimum wage being raised to $15 an hour. It's because it needs to be raised to $15 an hour. So I think we're a bit behind the ball um, in terms of creating an economic system that works for everyone and not just for those who make a good amount of money. And to touch on a little bit of what Kennedy said, I think that um, people are having a spur of instant gratification. I think that people have been so suppressed during this pandemic, trying to figure out like what they actually need. And, you know, money has been tight for a lot of people. And so they haven't been able to have as much fun with their money as they probably did before. And so these stimulus checks um, to them allow them to have that fun, you know, be a little bit reckless. Um, and it just, it's that instant gratification, but I think, you know, later they might realize maybe they could have used on something that was more needed. Yeah. And see, that is what I don't really want to happen. I don't want there to be a sense of regret after you receive the stimulus and you spend it on things that in the moment you just needed, I put quotes around that word. Um, in that case, that's more lust than anything else. It's as soon as you get the money, 
you just feel so happy and you want to go spend it on something and then the cycle continues really and again it is not it isn't everybody as tara stated it isn't everybody a lot of people have been spending their stimulus checks on very important things things that they need food water you know the lights rent um the stimulus has helped some people However, it, it is absolutely mind-boggling the amount of people that I've seen spend their stimulus and, and just spend it on so many things that are unrelated to the quality of life, really. I feel like that is completely unnecessary. So as a soon-to-be high school graduate, and I graduate in one month, woo-woo. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, I, look, I'm, thank you, thank you. As a soon-to-be high school graduate, I can say that during my time as a student, any class really diving into financial literacy or financial planning has been deemed an optional elective. And I know, Tara, you said something about this earlier, that the school system should definitely make this a mandatory class. I was wondering if you all felt that it should be mandatory in, in yeah. every single state, every county, regardless of, you know, where you live, should it be mm -hmm. mandatory? Absolutely. Can't teach what you don't know. And if your parents are bad with money, they can't teach you to be good with money. Um, so I've, I've always felt strongly about that. I was lucky enough that went to, I went to a high school that taught financial literacy have a lot of peers that I have seen struggle hard with it. It's amazing that it's not required when our education system, or at least our college and university education system, is so subsidized by loans that you take on. You're 18 years old and you are signing, if you're taking on a student loan, you're signing away the next 30, 40 years of your life to a minimum monthly payment and you don't even realize it because you haven't been taught that the importance of that contract that you're signing. And, it, and that's the way it is. It's a contract saying, I'm going to borrow this money from you now. And then over the next 30, 40 years, I'm going to pay it back. If you're not taught financial literacy, you do not understand how significant that is to your financial future. And that's why you see the student loan crisis that is existing right now. Um, there are a ton of people, especially since the pandemic hit, who are completely underwater with their student loans and don't have a job and there's no end in sight to it ever being right-sided for them. Sorry, I just wanted to touch on that a bit. I definitely agree. Um, it was the same issue when I was in high school four years ago, and it's just honestly really disappointing to see that it hasn't changed. Um, I also took a financial literacy class when I was in high school my senior year, and by then I was really, really overwhelmed with the fact that I was about to start college, and I was just learning all of this stuff, and I knew that it was going to be a long time for me to implement it into my life. And I felt like it was too late. And I actually did a practicum on it my senior year, financial literacy and just how it's too low amongst youth. You know, high school is actually, a, it's just really late to be able to, to teach that um, to people at that age, because you actually start developing habits by age nine. That's when you have your habits really solidified. And so I really think it's really important to teach it at an even younger age um, in order to have that through life. You know, it's just, it's really disappointing. And um, I just think that it's definitely, it should be mandatory. For me, it was voluntary. And I think it definitely should be mandatory in high school, but also throughout primary school ages so i'm definitely glad you said that i also am in, in agreement that financial literacy and budgeting should be taught 
and it definitely should be taught at, at earlier ages, much earlier than high school. But I did want to put out two things out there as far as just, you know, the information and the uh, tools that are available to you um, right now. Uh, because again, school is mm -hmm. another one of those things that's caught up behind political red tape. It's caught up behind, you know, egos, mm -hmm. senses of priorities uh, that, you know, administrators may feel is more important than that. Any type of banking institution that you may use, those banking institutions have a lot of tools and a lot of information yeah. that offer you to learn more about finances for you to learn more about budgeting. Um, I was able to start um, when I first got and opened up my Charles Schwab account. Uh, they actually send out seasonal magazines. They send out seasonal newsletters that are just chock full of information about things that I didn't even know you could do <laughs> with money. And not just, you know, starting 401ks and investing, but, you know, how to give tax gifts, how to set up a will, how to, you know, uh, things are a long way off for me, uh, both women. <laughs> but these things are available. You can also go to your local library. Uh, you can learn about tax law if you're interested in that. There are tools that are available to you that are outside of, of school that will definitely help you to you know, learn how to make a budget, learn how to mm -hmm. understand what's coming in and what's going out and how to measure both. And if school is not going to help, then, you know, there's definitely things out in the world that will definitely mm -hmm. help. Yeah, I 100% agree that it should be mandatory and that it should be taught from an early age. However, I was just wondering, like, how early do you think these classes should be taught? I, I know Asia said you develop habits at age nine. And I know when you're taking math classes as, you know, a four or five-year-old kid, you deal with money sometimes four quarters equals a dollar, right? But you don't learn how to, you know, save up your, your coins and those coins add up into dollars. And you don't know how to invest or budget at an early age. So how early do you think those classes should be taught? I think that your, your habits are actually formed by age nine. So when you're younger than age nine, you're actually starting to develop, you know, habits in your brain. So, but they're pretty much formed by age nine. So it's just that I think like even three and four, honestly, at three and four, you're telling kids, I know it sounds crazy, but listen. <laughs> So at three and four, you know, you're telling your kids, no, you know, when you're at this store, you're saying, they're saying, oh, mommy, can I have this? You say no. Right. And so you're teaching kids, you know, they just can't have something, but like, how do you teach them how to get it? You know, it's really about trying to say, okay, you know, you start giving your kids money, maybe give them quarters, something like that, but teach them how to like save. You tell them, you know, this is $1. How much do you need for, for uh, quarters to equal a dollar? And so as they get older, you start being more, I guess, formal or teaching them more and you can be more detailed with it. But it's really just about creating a habit at an early age and teaching them how to save and like teaching them how to get what they want with their own money, not for you to always buy it for them. I think that's kind of, I think that's really important. And I did see my mom trying to do that with me, especially when I had like chores around the house, she would give me like fake money. But in the end, it would turn out to be real money and I could buy like what I wanted with it. And that kind of taught me just to value my own money and not to see it as just coming from trees. Like with, if you're like always expecting an adult to buy you something, you don't really learn the value of money that way. Yeah, just kind of even falling off of that. I think that even something as simple as like the money your grandparents give you for your birthday or for Christmas, I think instilling in kids like, oh, I... I think a lot of times I'll see families, oh, your grandmother just gave you $25 for Christmas. Let's go to the toy store and see what you want to buy with it. Rather than that, like, let's see how much we're going to go and spend this entire $25 on. 
okay, let's put half of that way and you set you're saving half of it and let's take $12 or so or $12.50 and you can go to the store and buy something so that, you know, they're still learning how how much money $12.50 is worth because I think it's important not just to learn how to save, but to learn how much things cost and how you're actively spending your money. So I think it's important to like let people spend some of their money, but also learning how to save it. And, oh, you want, you ask for this specific thing. Kids ask for ridiculous things these days. If they're asking for a really expensive present, making them work for it rather than just, oh, Christmas is coming or your birthday is coming. Because when I want something expensive, I can't ask anyone. I have to make a plan for it. And what am I going to do in order to long-term, I want a new car. Okay, let's make a plan for how I'm going to buy a new car rather than, you know, go and get a ridiculous loan with a high interest rate and the car is going to be worth less than I paid for it the moment I drive it off the lot. It depreciates in value. So I think it's important to teach the savings piece, but also teach the spending piece. And that can be done starting at home, like Asia was saying, you know, with something as simple as like a birthday gift. As you get older, I do think it's important that it's incorporated into classes that kids are learning because it's not just something that you do on a personal level. I manage a budget in the job I have and it is a constant headache because it's so much money moving back and forth. But that's something that I'm responsible for on a corporate level as well. And if that budget isn't right at the end of the year, I have a lot of questions I need to answer about why we overspent. So it's not something just just impacts you day to day. You need to learn how to budget because eventually you want to have a job where you have a level of responsibility where you're in charge of some corporate money that's going to be a lot larger than your personal money. And it's important to have those skills personally so that you can use them professionally. I definitely agree with instilling within your child as a parent, like within the ages between six, you know, the importance of saving half, like Asia and Tara said, and then spending the rest. But I also believe like around the age 13, maybe 14, like those are the ages where you could get a job and you're making the money for yourself. I feel like when you're making the money yourself and then you want to buy something, you value what you buy more because it's your money and you've worked for it. So I feel like yeah. in selling it like 13 or 14, around those ages, they'll grasp the importance of financial literacy more because they're making it themselves and you know they're spending their own money. So Absolutely. You get a lot cheaper when it's your money. Sure. <laughs> I'm, I'm hearing a lot of um, from all of your inputs um, I think a really key part of financial literacy is establishing a positive relationship with money yeah. right with the information itself about you know knowing how to save or knowing how to budget knowing how to invest but Asia you said it best when you were referring to like oh I just thought this money was infinite. I, I thought this money was just coming. <laughs> and, and, and honestly, that is the, the same way I had a, a money approach as well. Um, I just thought that, you know, money was there to spend. And a lot of that comes from not getting that sort of nudge when you're little. And, and when you grow up through adolescence mm -hmm. and then become a young adult, you're not really getting that like uh, push toward understanding and, and even challenging and changing your relationship with money so that we know money is to be there for the future. There's been 
large amounts of money that I've had that I have spent on things I don't even have anymore. Clothes. Right. <laughs> I wouldn't be able to tell you where that stuff was, nor how much it cost. But I could have put that in, in and did that with that money so much different things. But because that was my relationship with money, that's what would mess it up. So I'm, I'm seeing here that also, like, not only is the information important, but your overall approach and relationship with money is very important as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Absolutely. Definitely. See, my upbringing was very, I don't want to say challenging, but I grew up in a single parent household and, and we were moving a lot. Sometimes it was a one bedroom, two bedroom. And I was really, I wasn't, I was of course taught by my mom, hey, look, save your money. But I had already developed that saving money habit. You know, my mom and my uncles, they say, you remind us of our grandfather. You never spend money. And, you know, (laughs) even now I'm 17 and I have still like a big water jug in my room. And I just, anytime I get loose change, I put it in there around a month and a half ago, I cashed that in and I, and I got a good amount of money for that. I forget the exact amount. I think it was leaning more towards like 140 and, and I still have that 140, you know, I didn't spend that. Um, I still have that. I still put that in, um, in a stash. I put quotes around that stash, but, uh, (laughs) yeah, I, I was very introverted financially as, as a, as a kid, you know, I didn't really ask my mom for a lot. And, you know, even now she's still like, do you want that? And I'm like, no, I'm, I'm, I'm all right. And, um, you know, it's, it's because of my upbringing, it's because of who I am, in which case everybody is different, but to learn how to save, to learn how to spend is very important. If you want some cereal at the store, Cinnamon Toast Crunch is $4, but you could get some Golden Grams or, or, you know, maybe a lower type of cereal for like $2. And, you know, there's not a big difference between them. Maybe that's just how I was raised. But, I think you make a good point, like not only the saving piece, but what is worthy of your money. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm more of a, I don't eat out a lot um, unless I'm traveling. For me, what's important to me is travel. I like to go on a good vacation every year. I like to, you know, get a passport stamp. So that's what I value. I don't value going out to a restaurant. I save that money. I'll put that towards a really nice vacation. Um, So I think another piece about just having a healthy relationship with spending is not having buyer's remorse, not going out to the mall and coming back with a bunch of bags. And then three months later, you still have things with tags on in your closet. And you're like, I don't even like that anymore. Why did I buy it? And you can't take it back for full value. So having a good relationship with how you're spending money and feeling good about your purchases and not regretting them later and knowing that you're spending your money on things that you deem worth your money because your money is your time because you spend time at work earning it and you can't get time back once it's gone. So it's very important to have a positive relationship with not just saving money, but how you spend it. And everyone really quickly uh, for, uh, for, especially for those uh, listening in, watching, can everyone share what their favorite or most critical like budgeting tip is? Mm-hmm. 
uh, so that, uh, you know, that there's something that they can work from and put into practice. I'll start. My most critical tip is reconcile your budget every month. And I learned this from doing it at work because my finance team requires me to do it every month. At the end of every month, I have to tell them how much we've spent, how much we have left for the year and what we plan to spend next month. Um, and I do that in my personal life, too. At the end of every month, I pull all my bank statements, all my credit card statements, and I look at how much I spent and where all my money is going. That way, you can get in front of a bad habit before it forms. If you see that you have went to Starbucks 10 times and spent $8 every time you went in that month, you, what could you have done with that $80 instead of eight trips to or 10 trips to Starbucks at $8 a month? So my biggest tip is get in front of that early, reconcile your budget every month, and also have a separate spending account from the account you pay your bills. Pay yourself for your spending and do not touch your bill money ever. <laughs> yeah, I definitely agree with that. Make like make sure you follow your own trend of how much you spend and how you spend it. Again, if you realize that you're going to a specific store X amount of times, what can you do to lower that? As Tara said, and looking over it monthly. Now, I might not. I don't. I don't have a credit card right now. However, I know in the future that's I might, good. You know. <laughs> you know. It, <laughs> <laughs> when they but, start sending uh, you credit card applications at 18, just throw them away, put them in the paper oh, yeah. shredder, leave them alone until you're 25 and have a little, more, a little bit more responsibility. Right, right. <laughs> but even now, I might not be, you know, paying like bills for my own house or whatnot, but I still look over how much I have, what I've been spending it on. And I still realize within myself, hey, look, what can I do to lower mm -hmm. how much money I'm spending on food because I am I am a guy who likes to order food a lot I I just I, I don't eat out a lot sometimes I just order food it's such a bad habit really <laughs> and sometimes it's even when I might have you know something in the fridge but I'm just like nah, I want to I want to have some sushi today or <laughs> you know and that's just that's just me um so yeah I definitely still look over my budget i look at my account i look at the trend of what i've been spending and i reconcile with that so um, so one thing that i do i definitely um when i get paid i actually make like more than half of my paycheck go to my savings because i'm the type of person if i see it all my checking i'm probably gonna want to do something with it so um <laughs> at least when it's in my savings i can somewhat ignore it and uh and it helps me save better so that's what I do. And and that's that's very good, really. I feel like that's something that mm -hmm. you should be proud of, really, in the grand scheme of things. Because yeah. when when you see something that that monetary value in checking, it does make you want to go out and spend it because you're like, hey, look, yeah. I mean, it's in checking. I can, I can do what I want with this money. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and and, you know, once you see it in savings, you, you see that pile uh, that total pile up. And you're like, wow, I feel really yeah. proud of how much money I have in my savings. And yeah, I think that is great. I was going to say, you make a really good point in that you're paying yourself first. I think that a lot of us get caught up in paying our bills and paying this and paying that. It's important that you pay yourself and you're not paying yourself for now. You're paying your future self when you move that money to your savings. And that's a really good habit to establish. Yeah, 100%. I definitely agree with you, Asia. I definitely do the same thing. But I also write out all my expenses for the month. And then I write out the money that I have coming in. 
So right now I don't have a job. I trade. I just make sure I add up all my expenses. Then I divide it by the number of days in the month. And then that's the amount of money that I really need to make daily, like minimum. Mm -hmm. But of course, you know, I make, I can make over that. So I just make sure I always hit my daily goal. And I, like you said, I move the amount of my expenses over to my savings just so I know that said, like, I'm good. Then I could just, you know. That's a good tip for managing your money when you're self-employed, what you just said, because, you know, I'm speaking as somebody who goes, has like an office job and goes every day, but there are a lot of people who are self-employed right now, and you make a really good point there. It's like, hey, these are what my expenses are. It's not so much, you know, what somebody's paying me every two weeks or however, it's how much I need to make for myself, every day and that's a great way to stay motivated um especially like when times are tough and you know you're figuring out how you kind of keep keep money coming in that's a really great tip that you just gave there are a lot of people that work in sales i hope heard that (laughs) i believe the key word is uh automate for me that's something that has definitely helped me tremendously whether it's automating paying yourself first make sure that that comes out automate uh your bills uh sometimes um as i did recently discovered uh with my cell phone bill that if i automate my cell phone bill i actually get five dollars off yeah uh, you can actually get some save some money um, by doing that as well and then just the peace of mind knowing that as long as you got the money coming in everybody's gonna Mm -hmm. get what you need you're gonna get what you need I have a terrible problem of like tracking. So like I can easily forget to pay me a bill sometimes, but you know, mm-hmm. once I got it automated, I don't have to think about it and it, it's not a problem. So I think that's definitely something if you want to put that into your budget, mm-hmm. that technique, I would definitely suggest it. Yeah. Yeah. Great advice, really. Now, Kennedy, I know you invest in the stock market, which is a great accomplishment. You know, I, look, I feel like stock investments are very important it, it fuels our economy on a daily um on a daily basis but considering how much in you know how much money is important in american society especially within the stock market why aren't investing classes kind of like taught from an early age you know we were we're taught in in school you have to get a job you have to go to college you have to get a job you have to do this you have to do that to be successful when the truth is, there are so many options. Um, you can be self-employed. You can invest into the stock market and make a good amount of money. Um, do you find it hip- hypocritical at all that investing classes aren't taught from an early age? They don't want us as African-Americans to win in today's oh, yeah. society at all. So, of course, they're not going to teach us that in school. They're going to teach us the basics. Like, they don't teach us everything about what African-Americans went through in our history classes. It's the same thing. So I feel like that's something like we, sadly, we have to go out and learn on our own. It's definitely classism, right? Like, I think something there is, at the beginning of the pandemic, there was some crazy figure out about like the amount of people who actually own stocks outside of just 401ks versus like, the stock market being a measure of success 
you have this high unemployment rate at the, um, towards like June of last year, yet the stock market is still rolling. It's because the stock market doesn't affect most people. It only affects a small percentage of Americans. Um, so it's not a measure of economic su- success in a real way. It's definitely something people don't understand. And it's because access, if you have access to building wealth, but where, where, is your, where your money works for you rather than you working hard, it messes up the whole system in place. Uh, but that's like another tangent I could go on. I'd say not just like buying stock in terms of investing, pushing the companies that you work for to invest in you. I think there are different levels of investing. There's investing money, but there's also investing in yourself. There are definitely ways that you can take advantage of that from a professional point of view. For instance, if your company does tuition reimbursement, go work at a company that's going to pay for some of your school back. Because I think looking at investing at this grant as this grand stock market thing can be um, it can be overwhelming and it can make people feel like they don't have access to it because they it's not designed for them to have access to right. But there are other ways that you can invest in yourself and you can do that through having your company pay for your tuition. You can do that by educating yourself, um, like just kind of being self-taught in things. Ask for equity. Don't just take a paycheck, take a piece of the company that you're working for. That way their financial success is your financial success. If you go work for a bigger corporation, ask for stock options. Um, So there are ways where you can make your day-to-day life where the eight hours you're spending in an office, they're paying you on a paycheck, but they're also paying you in the future because you're being invested in. Yeah, that, that is a great point there, that there are different ways to invest in both, you know, monetary values and, and in yourself. And then, and I feel like that is important to understand is that you can invest in yourself and that it'll all be worth it in the long run, really. I mean, I work right now at Noodles and Company, but they have tuition reimbursement. I made sure that that, when I was looking for a job, that was one of the things I would get, you know, and it, it can start as early. You don't even have to be employed. You can be looking for a job, but filter jobs that fit what you're looking for in the long run. If you're looking for a job that can help pay with tuition, filter that out. And and you can find some things out there for you that will make it worth it. Two quick points about investing again for those listening and watching. If you got this far, thank you so much. But just two quick points about investing. The first rule is to, to start. You actually lose by time. You, you lose out on a lot of return on investment if you wait even something like five or uh, 10 years to really get going. So learn as much as you can. Inform yourself as much as you can. But the name of the game is definitely start. As soon as, and it doesn't matter how much money you have. You got $5, $10, $50, $100, whatever it is. Mm-hmm. Um, you, you can invest that and definitely just start. And the next point is definitely uh, pay down debt. At, at least as it relates to the stock market. Stock market growth annually um, can average about 6 to 8%. But if you, if you have you know, high credit card debt, or if you have high uh, student loans, a car note, or anything like that, those percentages um, for the money that you have to pay are actually going to go up a lot more than that. 
Um, you know, some credit card APRs are like what, 20, 25% maybe. Mm -hmm. So any growth that you experience while investing, you know, is going to be snatched up by that debt. So definitely start as soon as you can. And if you're dealing with any debt, you want to pay that off, you know, as, as fast as, as you're able to. Um, and that way you really get to reap the benefits of, you know, whatever you're investing in, whether that is yourself and learning new skills, whether that's investing money and, and uh, trying to get compound interest um, and everything like that. Definitely want to stick to those two points for sure. Start and pay off your debt. Good. That's debt. a great point, Chris. <laughs> yeah. A lot of people throwing money into Robin Hood with high credit card bills. You need to pay those credit oh, cards. Man. Don't, no. man. <laughs> Don't do that. <laughs> Yeah, look, the debt, debt, man, that is a serious, serious thing right there. Look, debt in the long run can ruin your credit score, uh, which will make it hard, harder to buy homes, you know, to run out an apartment. It'll be hard in the long run, which leads to my next question, really. How can a young adult like myself really build a strong credit score and, and maintain a great credit score? I mean, there are a couple of ways that you can, there are a couple of ways that you can get a good credit score pretty early. If your parents have a good credit score, they can add you as an authorized user on their credit card, and then that raises your credit score, but that's not a thing that everyone's comfortable doing. The hardest thing in terms of building credit is having credit, because you can't build credit without having credit. The most important thing is just paying everything on time from the start, whether that's your cell phone bill, whether that's, you know, your utility bill, your rent, paying things on time is the most important. Even if you're just paying the minimum, it's most important to pay it on time and meet the minimum required requirement so it stays in good standing. That said, try to pay off the principal because if you're just paying off the, paying the minimum, you're just paying interest and finance charges and that money is just, going down the drain is not really doing anything for you in the long run. So get things paid off. Um, that really helps build your credit. And then if you don't have a credit history, you can get something like a secured credit card where you put the money down. That's your credit limit. And that helps you build credit where you don't have a credit history. But that said, just pay things off and credit will it just pay your bills on time and credit will come to you. It just takes time because a large part of establishing your credit history is establishing your credit history. So it, it takes time to build that history. Yeah. And I'll add to that. I actually do have a credit card, but I was kind of like that person that was kind of like conned into getting one. Um, and I didn't know all the repercussions of it, but um, I've had it for about, I want to say, three years now. So it's pretty, uh, I learned a lot just from having credit karma. Honestly, they do give a lot of great tips. I've actually established a really stable, good credit score just from having my credit card. And I do always like when I do spend, it's always reasonable. So it's always something I have purchased with my own money. And I do go back and just pay it off. And it really does help build your credit mm -hmm. over time. I don't really recommend getting a credit card until you actually know what that means. But right. um, it is actually really good for building credit. Well, I feel like we've given just, you know, you all have chipped in so much and given our listeners and viewers just so much information. I do want to ask if you all have any type of lasting advice 
that you would give to listeners and viewers watching this episode? Well, to make sure you're budgeting your money properly so you know where your money is going. And it's really important to stay organized too with your finances. And like they said, make sure if you do want to build credit, you can get a credit card. Just make sure you're paying it off and you're not spending money that you cannot afford to spend. I mean, the basics of credit is you should have more coming in than you, or just finances, period, is yeah, you should have more coming in than you have going out. So you just need to regularly look at how much you have coming in and how much you have going out and make sure the number going out is smaller than the number or smaller than the number coming in. Um, If you do that, you have a good basis, just like the very basic of it. And once you get the basics down, then you can really start building um, your savings and your investments and your credit. 100%. That is just very important to understand is that you need to have a specific amount of money coming in if you're going to spend a a specific amount of money you know outward you know if you if you have let's say it's basic math if you have five apples right but you want to eat seven apples you're short Mm -hmm. two apples right so that's just important to understand from an early age which goes back to the budgeting uh classes which should be implemented early and I just, I thank you all that uh, for that advice. Does anybody else have any further questions or comments before we wrap up this episode? Um, I think it's also really important to think long-term. I always kind of think of finances as like candy and like vegetables. I know it sounds kind of weird, but you know, you want to choose the option that's going to like help you long-term in the future not just think right now what sounds good, but just really think about how everything you're doing is gonna affect you long-term and how to set yourself up for the future. Because I know it's like really easy to think about, oh, I want this right now and I want this right now, but you know, your money can go a long way if you um, mm-hmm. budget it the right way. I'd, I'd also add to that, that recognize yes, money is a, a resource, but time is also a resource. Yes. For your, your, your network. Uh, your your family, your friends, your colleagues, uh, other people that you study with or whatever the case may be, those people are resources. Everything, just because it's not money doesn't mean it's not valuable or, or has, is something that can help you uh, get to the next level. And when it, when it comes to financial freedom and when it comes to be able to take care of yourself and take care of your family, uh, just visualize what that looks like to you, whatever, whatever picture you, that pops up in your, in your mind. And because you visualize it, not to sound corny or anything, but because you visualize it, you know, it, it is real. It is possible. Um, I think that's one of the, the biggest uh, issues, especially within our community, is that, you know, we can't really visualize uh, coming to a certain place financially because of, you know, maybe what our families went through or mm-hmm. you know, what our neighborhoods went through. Um, but it, it's possible for, for each and every one of us to, to get to that point. You can do it. You can do it. Yeah, definitely. I mean, considering, again, I grew up in single parent household, um, I kind of made a promise to myself from an early age. Hey, look, I want to make sure I have a life that's best for me, my mom, my children, my wife in the future. I want to make sure that we are as financially stable as possible. And, you know, steps like that, a goal like that, man, it, it starts early, really. And I feel like as soon as you make that own, you know, that self-promise, you got to do everything that you can to reach that goal because those goals are attainable. 
You just mm-hmm. really have to, you gotta, you gotta know what you're doing and you have to stay dedicated to it. Yeah. And just one last thing on that. It's important to have goals, but it's also important to put down your path on how you're going to get there. As you're writing down your goals and visualizing what you want for your future, what are the steps that you need to take to get there? I have always been very big on planning. I had a five-year plan, a 10-year plan, a 15-year plan, um, endless plans. While sometimes you fall short on your plans, the good thing is that you have a plan and you know what you're aiming for. So if you fall short, you're still within the acceptable range of what you want for yourself. So, you know, get your plan on paper, get your goal on paper, but more importantly, get your plan on paper to support that goal. Well, I think that'll be it. Thank you everybody for coming. We at the Leap to College Foundation sincerely appreciate this Asia McConnell, uh, Tara Jackson and Kennedy Nicole, as well as Christopher Wallace for taking the time out of your days to provide your insight and perception on financial literacy. To all of our viewers and listeners, be on the lookout for future episodes on the Dream Big Podcast on YouTube, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and wherever you get your podcasts. If you want to find out more information regarding the Leap to College Foundation, make sure to leave a review and check out our website at www dot leap to college foundation dot org and follow our social media accounts our instagram is leap to college foundation inc our twitter l the number two c foundation and our facebook leap to college foundation this is your host jalen thomas signing off have an amazing rest of your day and stay safe everyone thank you yeah yeah everyone I hope you enjoyed this episode focused on budgeting, investing, and maintaining credit, and learn something new from our host Jalen Thomas, co-host Christopher Wallace, and panelists. Special thanks to Asia McConnell, Tara Jackson, and Kennedy McWilliams for your knowledge and experience on this episode. Look out for our upcoming Bridge episode where we will recap this episode and tease the next one. If listening on Spotify, make sure to follow us to receive notifications every time we post a new episode. If listening on Apple Podcasts, make sure to leave a review for us. To learn more about Leap to College Foundation, remember to check our website at www.leaptocollegefoundation.org, Instagram at Leap to College Foundation, Inc., Twitter at L2C Foundation, Facebook at Leap to College Foundation, and YouTube at L2C Dream Big. Thank you for listening.